This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club and this is your show. The final international break of the season is done and dusted and it's now full steam ahead for Manchester City for the remaining three competitions. The FA Cup and Champions League are on the horizon but it's a big Premier League game to kick off the restart on Saturday as Liverpool come to the Etihad. City face the challenge of trying to win four league games in a row for the first time this season, a feat that could depend on which Liverpool turn up. We'll speak to the Anfield Raps' Neil Atkinson to find out more about their issues this season later on. Plus, we'll discuss the issues around City's selection with a couple of key players who may be unavailable after their national team call-ups. And we're talking about celebrity fans on this week's show. Usain Bolt was at the women's game on Sunday, despite being a famous United fan. So we'll take a look at some famous faces who have been at the Etihad in years gone by. Some die-hard blues and others, well, less so. I'm David Mooney and there's no question that I'm joined by two die-hard blues for this week's episode. We've got Adam Monk. Hello. And Dan Burke. Hello. So, uh, so yes, uh, let's uh, let's kick off with the, uh, with the Liverpool game. Um... Dan, I said in the intro there, uh, City haven't yet won four in a row this season, uh, in the league anyway. Um, how confident are you that that, inc- that they can put that inconsistency behind them? Because I guess the international break came at exactly the wrong time for for the way City were playing. Yeah, I do worry that the international break has, has sort of uh, halted the momentum that was building up in recent weeks, actually. And, uh, to be honest, I'm not hugely confident about the chances of, of putting a run together. I suppose it depends what you mean by putting a run together, because it seems like... To me, we probably need to win all 11 remaining games to, to win the league this season, um, which is quite a big ask. Um, you know, the City have been in, in good form for the best part of two months now. Um, we're, we're looking really good before the international break. I, I still don't feel like they are as strong as they were last season. And, you know, in, in, in the 2018-19 season is another good example when we put that run together at the end of the end of the year. Um, I think, you know, it's not a controversial thing to say that City aren't as strong as they, they have been in the past, you know, especially with this kind of elongated, truncated season, I think it's taken its toll in in lots of ways. Um, and and if we need to win all 11 remaining games, I, I'm not sure I, I can see us doing it this year. Um, I, I wonder how it affects players psychologically, knowing that even if they do win all 11 games, they're not guaranteed to, to win the title. That's a position we've not really been in before. We're kind of used to having our noses just about in front at this point. Um I saw someone on Twitter the other day saying, oh, if City win the next 18 games, they win the treble. And it's like, yeah, it sounds lovely and simple when you put it like that, but it's it's not it's not that simple in practice, is it? And I, I don't yeah. know how helpful it is to look at it in those terms psychologically either, really. I think the focus just has to be on beating Liverpool this weekend and then looking ahead to the next game. Um, I'm sorry if that makes me sound pessimistic because I'm not really. I'm just trying to be a bit realistic about the situation we're in. Twitter can do a very good job of making me suspicious of the word simply. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Simply win 18 games. There you go. Over to you. Um, Adam, if they are going to put a run together, I mean, they've they've already started it. They're on three wins in a row in the league already. But um, the kind of the post-international break, the the kind of final run-in run, uh, would have to start with uh, with beating Liverpool. Um, are you nervous of that challenge because of how these games have been in the past? They've been tough or more confident given Liverpool's form this season? Uh, I think the game itself will get be a it'll be a different game, a different entity entirely because like Dan said, we're worse this season than we were last season. Liverpool are worse this season than they were last season. Um, in fact, I think most teams at the top actually are, bar Arsenal and probably United, unfortunately. But... Um, yeah, the game, I mean, it has to be one game at a time, doesn't it? Um, and I think 
the thing is now Liverpool have also got a lot to play for because they've sort of hauled themselves back into the top four race. So there's a bit of incentive for them as well. So I think we're going to see goals at both end, to be honest. Um, particularly with the way that Liverpool's attack's been slightly rejuvenated over recent weeks with Nunes and Gatpo starting to find the net. So uh, I don't know. I think I don't think it'll be the same level of quality all over the pitch that we've seen in recent years. But I think I don't know. I think there'll be a it'll mirror past seasons now with team with both teams incentivized at the end of the season. Yeah. How about past? Kind of intensity, because as much as as like the two all draw last season was a was was you know one of those games where there was quality in you know through, throughout for both teams, it was it was a relentless game, and I'm not sure we're in for that this weekend. No, neither am I. Particularly with the absentees that I think we've got, and especially with like Foden, who I think is going to be out, who really helps against Liverpool with that sort of intensity. Um, I think we'll probably have to see Bernardo in the front three, maybe in this one, just to sort of give us that edge. But, um, I mean, intense, Liverpool can't replicate the intensity that they have in previous seasons because the squad this season's really, I think it's very evident that they failed to replace their spine adequately and it's just aged a bit too much. So now Henderson and Fabinho, they just don't have the legs that they did. And obviously they don't have Wijnaldum anymore, which they used to benefit from massively. So I don't think Liverpool can replicate the intensity whereas I think we can on our day so I think that maybe gives us the edge in this one yeah Dan when you think of that for a city point of view um have you been noticing in the in the last few weeks I I, I don't know how much of of City's wins before the international break were because of the way the opposition played and if it is a case that you know for example take, take Leipzig for example um we were going into that game really nervous about what Leipzig might do to City in in this game and then City went okay. You're going to play nice and open, and we're going to we're going to control this. And then, oh, maybe you're the better team for 20 minutes or so. But now we've scored, we're going to take you to the cleaners. Liverpool are not going to come come and sit deep. So there's there's the potential. It's it's almost like risk reward thing, isn't it? You've got the potential of a team that will come and attack you and and, and maybe cause you problems. But if City get it right, they could really get it right. I guess. Yeah, those are the type of games, those kind of open end-to-end games that, that tend to suit City quite well. And it's uh, it's a case of kind of the quality shining through then and, and City have a lot of quality. You know, so do Liverpool. It's never a game that I'm, I'm going to feel good about going into. Um, you know, look at what happened at Anfield this season. I remember they were in awful form going into that one. We were in good form. I felt really confident, probably more confident than I, I ever have about a trip to Anfield. And then it was a, it was a typical City-Anfield performance in the end. So, you know, you just always think that Liverpool can sort of pull something out of the bag against us and, and and turn up for the big occasion. I think their their front players can really hurt us. But if we can dominate that midfield, that creaky midfield that Adam alluded to there, which which we should be able to and put their defence under a lot of pressure, then I think we should have enough to beat them. Um, it could be kind of similar to the Carabao Cup game um, this season, I think. You know, I'm, I'm expecting goals as well. And that was, uh, we were the better t- better side that night, but Liverpool just kept coming back into it and kept pegging us back. And, and they, they have the habit of, of making making it difficult for City when they play us. You know, think think of the uh, the game around this time last year as well. The 2-2 at the Etihad was was like that as well. Um, so yeah, I, I'm hoping for a, a big performance from City. I'm hoping they'll come into this one feeling confident because they should be. They are, they are the better team than Liverpool this season, but Liverpool can hurt us definitely. Yeah. Um, Adam, for City at home against Liverpool, it's it's really interesting because you can look at this in, in two completely different ways. Because if you were to say in the, in the Klopp and Guardiola era, 
Um, it's now only one defeat in seven under Guardiola at uh, at home to Liverpool, and that was the Champions League final second leg, uh, Champions League um, quarter final second leg, and it, that was very much a game where the circumstances kind of lent themselves to a City defeat. City had to go chasing the game and it left them open and they they, they lost the game. Everything else, City have, uh, have either drawn or won. However, in those seven games, it's only three wins. There's been three draws as well. So it's like, it, it really is. It, it's, it's, it's really tight, this one. Yeah, I think that just speaks volumes of the level of that these clubs have been at in the past six years, really. The games have been sort of cagey yet open, if that makes sense. It's a bit of a paradox, really, but like <laughs> yeah. they, they, they've sort of been punch for punch, like heavyweight boxing fight, so much so to the point that it always ends up being a draw because both teams sort of cancel each other out with how good they are. Um, so, yeah, I think, I do think we're going to see, I think, I, I agree with Dan, I think we're going to see something similar to the, the League Cup game this season where it was 3 2, where I think we'll dominate. I do think we'll dominate because I think we've got the edge in the middle of the park. Will you be comfortable um, with that? Will you be able to relax through that? Or Yeah. I think so. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> yeah. Like, I mean, I mean, it's never... If, the thing is, like, last season it was 2-2 all draws and the League Cup game was 3-2. So, in a sense, it's 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 not different from what it was. But I just think, um, like I say, I'm actually so confident that their midfield's dropped off to the extent where we'll be able to dominate with the ball, if you know what I mean, and also be a you know, also be quite press resistant and resist their quick transitions, which is how they're going to try and play and how they've played in the past. I think we'll be able to handle it a little bit better than we have in previous seasons. Um, but yeah, in terms of that home record, I think that speaks volumes about how... Uh, I mean, I'd like to think that Pep's pretty much got a record that good against every single team, maybe Bar United and Solskjaer for some bizarre reason. <laughs> um, so, you know, at home, he sort of... He knows what he's doing and he always gets it right. And with Liverpool as well, in previous seasons, off the top of my head, it seems like we tend to play them at the Etihad always second most, where it's more like the business end of the season. And when it's a business end of the season, Pep rarely ever gets it wrong domestically. So um, I think it speaks volumes of that. And the good thing is that's where we are now in the season. So hopefully he gets it right. I think he usually does towards the tail end in the Premier League. So, So I'm actually quietly confident about this one. Yeah, be interesting actually, Dan. Now that uh, just kind of put, kind of slamming those two points together, um, like Adam says, like Guardiola generally gets it right in the in the running, the, certainly in the Premier League, and I can't disagree with that. I think he's, I think he does. And at the same time, as you said, City have never really been in this position where they've they've still been reliant on other results, kind of early April time. So it's, it's they've always had the noses in front. So I mean, it's what what happens here if Guardiola gets everything right, but it doesn't go City's way? It's like is that a kind of a oh well, you know, we've we tried everything we could. It was the start of the season that did us sort of thing. I think so, yeah. I think it's just something that you have to take on the chin this season, really. It's been a difficult season in lots of ways. Arsenal have been outstanding. If they kind of hold their nerve in the last week weeks of the season and, and go on to win the league, um, there's not a great deal we can do about that, really. We've just got to try and win our games and just see where we end up at the end of the season, really. It's as, it's as simple as that. Um, I mean, this is an interesting game for City, this one, because Liverpool... Um, you know, despite that that decent home record, have been a bit of a, a kind of bogey team for us in recent years. A, a team that we've locked horns with a lot and and not had a great deal of success against. You know, the last time we beat them in a home game that that really meant something was that 2019 one. So you know, I think this is a must win game for City. Let's just focus all our energies on trying to win this, and and we can worry about the bigger picture later, I guess. 
Yeah, well, uh, let's get a view from Anfield about how they're feeling about this game. Uh, I've been speaking to Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap about their season so far. I think that early in the campaign, Liverpool are still struggling with the aftermath of the previous season. And then within there, I think a few things have changed. Um, Erosion has sort of been an issue. What I would say is that as each part of the team has become a little bit less good, it's made another part of the team over a period of time then in and of itself become less good. So I think that ultimately Liverpool turn up with in Henderson and Fabinho, two stalwart midfielders who at the start of the season are absolutely exhausted. Um, and who've turned that around in a, in a couple of ways, uh, arguably since they were both dropped for four or five games, but who still sort of don't entirely look like they've got 90 on Saturday, 90 on Tuesday and 90 on Saturday in them. Uh, but at the start of the campaign, they very much were not able to sort of hit the heights that they've hit in the past. Thiago gets injured uh, at first game uh, early in the campaign. And then up up top, Liverpool, firstly, they're still bedding in Luis Diaz before he gets his injury. Um, they're also then bedding in Darwin Nunez. Uh, and Salah starts the season a little bit slowly at the back. What that then does when these other parts of the side aren't really operating particularly well. I think Van Dijk's not been as good this season as he was last season uh, when he first came back from the injury. Certainly in the second half of last season when it looked as though he got back to his his level he'd had before the injury. Uh, He starts the season a little bit slowly as well uh, and has subsequently sort of made mention of the fact that maybe he just played too much football before the World Cup in general over the previous 18 months and there's lots of tables and graphs that back that up. And suddenly everyone feels a little bit exposed. The most obvious one is the right back, uh, Trent Alexander. Alexander-Arnold, but in there as well, you know, Liverpool haven't been able to get fitness out of Canate as much as they'd like when he'd sort of established himself as the main partner for Van Dijk. And I still think Joe Gomez is an excellent footballer, but he's another one who looks off the other side of a couple of bad injuries. Uh, The the one suffered on England duty uh, in 2020 is the one that stands out now, where he can't particularly do Saturday, Tuesday, Saturday either. All of these factors have rubbed up against each other. And I think something else has happened, which is opposition sides have sensed a bit of weakness. Uh, and then from there, that bit of weakness, because they've sensed it and they've exploited it and they've got the results, has intensified. Uh, and Liverpool have sort of struggled to, to get themselves back. Now, all of that said, and I've said it a lot there for a long period of time, Liverpool uh, went on a run. Um, if we sort of uh, park the Real Madrid games home and away, but Liverpool went on a run where they got themselves, you know, five consecutive clean sheets, won four of those games, beat Manchester United 7-0 uh, over the course of the season. You know, we beat Manchester City uh, earlier in the campaign. We were unlucky at Arsenal. Uh, well, we weren't unlucky. We shot ourselves in the foot at Arsenal more accurately, but for 45 minutes, we were the better side uh, earlier uh, in the season. In that one, we've gone and won at Tottenham uh, in there as well. So there is still the feeling that the side can rouse itself for certain games. The real kick in the teeth is actually the the form in general away from home against the sides in the bottom 10. Uh, Liverpool have failed uh, to beat Nottingham Forest. Uh, it, well, got beat by Nottingham Forest earlier in the season. And most recently, a 1-0 defeat at Bournemouth, which was coming off the back of those five consecutive clean sheets when it felt like Liverpool had sorted a lot, lot out. Liverpool started that game, 20 minutes, looked really, really good, very much on top, and then went to absolute pieces and couldn't find themselves again. So there's not one answer to this. I think there's there's an overall few issues, and Liverpool have got to sort of get back to writing it again. Um, and it'll take a little bit of time to write it, but I don't think simultaneously it's anything terminal. 
Yeah, I've just, I mean, just on your away form as well, because at the minute it stands at, uh, in the Premier League anyway, it stands at 1-3, drawn three, lost seven. Um, yeah. Two big away games coming up for that as well. But if your form is, is if it's the lower half of the Premier League that you're struggling with, I mean, I, we can talk about Chelsea's position all day long, uh, but it's Chelsea after City. So what what are you anticipating over these these next two games? Because it's, it's not just a case of, oh, away form's bad, oh, we don't really want to be going to City? Because I, I guess this is the sort of game where you would feel, actually, we might have a chance. It's it's so frustrating um, in that the, the, we've got three back-to-back. We've got City, we've got Chelsea, we've got Arsenal. And it genuinely wouldn't surprise me if we, if we got nine points. Um, and then, then it wouldn't surprise me if we went to Ellen Road, which is our next game on a Monday night, and we got beat. Um, so when you're asking me what I'm expecting, I think it's firstly it's obviously difficult to say in general. The one thing I would say is that this Liverpool side, it, it's this season as the seasons wore on, it's been pretty bad when it's had to deal with setbacks. So you're more likely to face setbacks on the road. Uh, we've only lost one home game all the way through the campaign. You're more likely to face setbacks on the road. And I think that that's a pretty sort of damning indictment. Now, what I would say is even in that regard, they've actually been okay when they've had to deal with setbacks against teams where you expect to get setbacks, if you sort of know what I mean, yeah. as bad as that is. They've sort of gone with... So, you know, so, for instance, it wouldn't surprise me. I don't think it would be outrageous if City scored in the first 10 and Liverpool were able to shrug their shoulders and say, well, sometimes that's just what happens when you play Man City. If we were playing, for instance, Wolves, Liverpool start that game at Molyneux dreadfully and then spend half an hour getting worse um, and the first thing goes wrong for them and the demeanour the the, the the application just completely goes out the window so again to sort of contextualise that and I know it's a bit different for us where Everton are concerned but on the road we've drawn 0-0 at Palace we drew 0-0 at Everton we got beat 3-0 by Wolves we got beat 1-0 by uh, Forest and we got beat 1-0 by Bournemouth and they are your bread and butter games. We draw two all with Fulham, first game of the season. We start really brightly at Brentford, um, really brightly for 15 minutes, probably should score. And then as soon as one thing goes wrong, the ball ricochets in off uh, Canate to put Brentford 1-0 up. Liverpool are an absolute mess until half-time, and they're lucky to get in at only 2-0. Yeah. But then the flip side of that is we go to Newcastle and win really rather comfortably and, and you know we're 2-0 up when Pope gets sent off and if anything that skews the game sort of in Newcastle's favour because Liverpool just decide well we'll just see this one out from that point you know we go 2-0 up at Tottenham and, and see that one out as well we are we are we're, we're exactly the sort of side that I think Arsenal and Manchester City could both strongly do without facing in the next week because we're currently the side where I think obviously given the title situation both sides could really do with three points but we're also the sort of side that could just turn up and and genuinely not surprise you surprise would be the wrong word we're just the ones that are exceptionally difficult to predict ad free episodes are available on Patreon sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast in many ways, then, in that case, are you pleased to have City after the international break? Because going into the international break, losing to Bournemouth and losing to Real Madrid, not ideal. And then you kind of come back from it and you go, right, OK, we need to focus for this one now. I think we, well, we need to... Uh, the, the, this Liverpool side under Klopp has finished every season doing exactly what it needs to do. Uh, so every full season Klopp's been managed, Liverpool have finished uh, in, the, in, the, in the Champions League places first and foremost, but have, in, you know, even in seasons where that was looking a little bit unlikely, got on a run, or in seasons like 17-18, managed to coast in the league um, and just pick up the, the requisite points whilst making the Champions League final that season. So I think that in general, the idea of Liverpool, you know, it's 12 games now until the end of the campaign, you need to knuckle down. 
start that at Manchester City. I think more, much more so than the Arsenal game because I expect us to beat Arsenal. I feel like I expect us to beat Arsenal year in, year out, and, and one season is not going to change my opinion on that. But um, I expect us to beat Arsenal. I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit that the City game's a bit of a free hit. You can be playing really well, you know, as we were, for instance, in, in you know, in the in, in the 2018-19 season, uh, in early January, and go to the Etihad and get beat. Uh, that's the way in which it works. So I hope this Liverpool side is able to sort of relax into the fixture in that sort of sense. The one thing I would say is that if Liverpool do lose at the Etihad, you're sort of beginning to lose. The, you, you're losing the start time for the good run, if you know what I mean. So it will put, therefore, more pressure on the game that follows up at Stamford Bridge uh, on Tuesday. So, you know, Liverpool have got to get moving at some point soon. Uh, I would argue that this is this is a really good opportunity to get moving, get cracking across these three games. But even that wouldn't make me go, oh, well, all of our worries are over because that has not been the way this season has operated at all. Yeah. Um, who's who's uh, uh, in and out of the squad for this one? Um, have you got, uh, because obviously you talked about uh, kind of fitting in Luis Diaz earlier on um, and, and the kind of issues up front you've had. Traditionally, you, you've got players that can hurt City on the counter-attack. So, uh, so who's likely to be available for it? I think we'll still have, I think we, we'll be close to a full complement. I'd be really surprised if um, if any of the lads who've been carrying injuries come immediately back in. So th- there's a chance that Thiago may be back uh, at some point in the next 10 days. There's a chance that Diaz may be back at some point in the next 10 days. Uh, but I think they'll both be sort of faded in to the team um, rather than starting. I, I, the, the, there's a bit of a question as to whether or not he might he might have one eye on the idea that Tuesday is, is a slightly more winnable game. So for instance... Gakpo may, may may not start the game and he might go with Firmino instead uh, as one example because Firmino didn't go away on international duty, uh, whereas Gakpo obviously did. I expect the team, though, to be the one that faced up against Manchester United. I expect it to be Alisson in goal, uh, Trent right back, Canate, Van Dijk, Robertson, uh, Fabinho, Henderson, Elliott, uh, Salah, Gakpo and Nunez. Uh, that's what I'd expect it to be. Um, Nunez will... You know, I think if there's one where City could make sure they were getting Kyle Walker on the pitch in the next three, I, I would have it probably be this one, uh, because Nunez is able to to hurt every side uh, on the counter. I, th- I think City have seen that themselves this season already. Um, I think it's something that you know sides are going to be increasingly, uh, you know, increasingly conscious of. Uh, but Liverpool, you know, I think that 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 will be the way in which Liverpool will operate. Uh, they will look to obviously feel as though they can. Hit City on the counter attack, and I think that, as ever, uh, the, the probably the key form player in the game for, from a City point of view will be Rodri. Yeah. Do you think? I mean, in many ways, uh, you look at that game in Anfield earlier in the season, and I know City fans who were. I mean, I'm going to go as far as saying apoplectic that Guardiola changed it as much as he did, given what your form was like at the time. I, I, do you see much change from Klopp going into this one? Do you see because it, it's one of those games where I mean, take the two-two last season. City played like Liverpool would normally, and Liverpool played like City would normally, and they kind of both kind of overthought each other and kind of inverted everything and, and, and got it the wrong way around. So, uh, do you see much tactically different for this game than than in previous years, given given the rivalry between the two sides? I can see it being. I think from a Liverpool point of view, I think if he. I think the one who, the, the player who gives him that greater amount of flexibility is is Thiago, and him being unlikely to be available uh, makes me feel as though Liverpool will have to you know set up as I say as they did against Manchester United. But I think I think Liverpool and City have in any case been growing closer 
in style, uh, and I actually think that's benefited City a little bit more than it has Liverpool for a, for, for a few reasons. But I think that, for instance, you know, I feel like City wants to be able to have the gear to play a little bit more like what we in our minds view a Klopp Liverpool, and Liverpool want to have the gear. And I think one of the things that's actually gone wrong for us a little bit this season is we're 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 trying to find a way to play in a in a slightly you know i think that there's been a long it's longer than just this campaign and i think actually a great example of it's the semi-final last season where kaita from that right hand side position at wembley plays really really high um, and it's almost like a front two, uh, which means that it's almost like a front four from a Liverpool point of view. And I think the idea of moving from three really robust midfielders to having a greater amount of tactical flexibility in there is something that Klopp has been looking to have. Um, and as I say, when it's worked, as it does in the semi-final as one one instance, as it arguably does against Manchester United in the 7-0, you know, it means that Liverpool are better placed to be able to cut loose and that the games work a little bit differently. I mean, just to use a historical example, David, with you, um, I had a bit of a count back in pre-COVID uh, in the in the 2019-20 season you know the COVID, when COVID hits Liverpool are 25 points clear of Manchester City but through that season up until the point where COVID had hit there'd been 11 games where with 10 minutes to go Liverpool had been comfortable and by the way I define that was leading by two goals yeah. or more uh, City were on 12 in the same period. And I think Liverpool, I think genuinely one of the things that Liverpool have looked at from City, and I think City changed after that point, Guardiola changed in a number of ways. I think the the COVID season, the, 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 the full COVID season helped Guardiola in a sense, because I think that Guardiola decided he wanted his, his Manchester City side to be able to play in a manner that was more robust and that if the games were tight, he was more comfortable with that. But I think that Liverpool felt like we absolutely sweat on a game in a way Manchester City don't. So how do we change that and how do we become a little bit more expansive, a little bit more controlling both of the ball and the scoreboard? This season, ironically, I actually feel as though if Liverpool had been more the idea of sort of the 2-3-5 where the three midfielders are without sort of insulting anyone hugely workmanlike, with the way in which the league's been, I think that that would have suited Liverpool better. But I think that Klopp felt the direction of travel, especially after the way last season went, will be that a lot of sides, when they play Liverpool and City, sit really deep, are really passive, uh, and so on and so forth. That really hasn't been the case for Liverpool, and I don't think it's been the case for City either. I think more sides have had to go at Liverpool and City this season, and I think City have withstood it better. And I think there's a couple of reasons for that, but I genuinely feel as though the main reason for it is the, the, the position defining excellence of Rodri. I think Rodri is the most important player in the whole division uh, and has been for two seasons for Manchester City. Uh, I think he's he's grossly underrated uh, in terms of what it is that he brings to that side. And I think his screening of that back four has been so, so important from a City point of view. His general sense of calm has been so important. Um, but I feel as though Liverpool were planning for the idea that they had to pick the lock more often and they were moving away from the sledgehammer football. And I think in general, Guardiola, without without being daft about it, I don't think he's gone to, you know, full sledgehammer football or anything like that. But I think he's moved a bit towards more towards that. Haaland's an example of that in general. Liverpool have tried to move a bit more towards City. I think it's this season it's gone better for City. Uh, and I think that that's something Liverpool have got to have got to work an answer out to in the summer. Neil, before we let you go, let's get a score prediction for uh, for the game. We got the charity bet and um I like to uh, abdicate responsibility to everybody else. So uh, over to you. I'm going to presume that your City people are going to go for City wins. So just to balance it out, I, I think City will win the game. Uh, I think it'll be really tight, but I do actually think City will win the game. But on the off chance that Liverpool um, do manage to sort of pull something together, I think there's a big question uh, for Guardiola 
I think when this fixture's happened in the past, there's a thing that happens where we're able to say, do both managers sort of shake hands on two all on 70? I don't think Guardiola's in a position to do that. And I do think that Klopp is. And that could make Liverpool dangerous uh, later in the game from the point of view of being able to just try to sit back, soak it up and see if they can hit Manchester City. So I'm going to go with, um, uh, mainly for the charity, as I say, I do think City will just about prevail in the game. Uh, but I'm going to go with a, a, a deeply upsetting um Manchester City 2 Liverpool 3 uh, for the for the City contingent just simply off the idea that there's a chance the game plays out like that organically it's tight going into the last 15-20 minutes City are, need the three points more which means they open themselves up and Liverpool find a way to get them uh, but if I may reassure your City listeners we'll absolutely leather Arsenal This is the Blue Moon Podcast Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. That was Neil Atkinson from the Anfield Wrap. Um, uh, so, I, Adam, we've we've not kind of looked at the personnel yet for for City on this one. Uh, you mentioned Foden a bit earlier on. We'll come to him shortly. Um, City might have to do this game without Erling Haaland. Um, obviously injured uh, for Norway and, and didn't play in their games. How are you feeling about that? What's your gut instincts? Is it, is, is it one of those where the player has gone away to international duty? It's been very kindly managed and you know he's, he's, he's been seen by the, the international doctors, but actually probably going to be all right for weekend. Or is it one of those where you think, mm, maybe not? It's all a bit up in the air, isn't it? Because like, not much has been said. So like, I don't know. I think he did pick up a knock. You might remember, I kind of can't it from thin air but I think he got a knock earlier in the season and came back sooner than expected I might be making that up but I think he did like in the first few weeks of the season so hopefully it's a repeat of that if you're making it up I don't really care because it's a nice comfort blanket so (laughs) (laughs) yeah it it, it just seemed I think it happened I think it did happen around the time he was scored a hat-trick against Palace quite early on but uh, regardless of that look if he is out that is a blow because he scored 42 in 37. <laughs> so, like, you know, this, we can't really dress this one up, can we? Like, if he's out, it, you know, it's, it's, it's not ideal. Um, I do like Alvarez, though, you know, and I actually think in a very weird way, like, Pep always tended to play... Uh, I think Alvarez is actually going to start regardless, even if Haaland is fit, because I think Pep always, against Liverpool, he always used to start Gabriel Jesus because of that sort of off-the-ball dynamism and intensity and work rate, yeah. So I think we're going to see Alvarez play. Whether that's alongside Haaland or not remains to be seen. But um, I think Alvarez actually suits a side like Liverpool. Um, So, yeah, expect to see him start. And uh, I'd also say expect to see him score as well. Um, God, I love that confidence. I don't have that confidence. I've never... like You can tell we're of different generations, mate. (laughs) Yeah, I just think like Liverpool can't defend this season. They, They honestly... They just can't, and I think uh, a lot Alvarez particularly suits it. But the problem is Foden also suits Liverpool, and like we said, he's not there. And I think Mares and Grealish are probably the two who maybe don't just because of the way they play. Not that they're playing badly, but just stylistically, they maybe don't suit a City Liverpool game, which will be which will be an interested added element. Because I think in the past those two never really started these fixtures. It was always Foden, Gabriel Jesus, Sterling, maybe Bernardo. Um, so it'll be a bit of a shake-up attacking-wise, I think, this time, um, which will be interesting to see. But if Haaland's not there, um, that that's not good, and that doesn't take much analysis. Yeah, <laughs> Dan, if Haaland isn't available, um, what are you thinking, even if Alvarez plays? False nine? 
Well, he can do that, can't he? He can drop in and 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 play with the the players around him, bring other players into play, and like you know, the work rate is there, like like Adam said as well. I mean, I think with um, with Foden's absence as well, it it means we've got one fewer option. You know, people talk about this amazing squad depth that th- that City have, but if you take two players out that forward line, then you know you, you're not left with with a great deal of options, really. I, I would probably go with Alvarez um, leading the line, Grealish left, Bernardo right, like against uh, against Leipzig. We have, we played with, with that way in the wings. That that does help um, control the game and, and guard against those uh, those counter-attacks a little bit. Um, I haven't been that impressed with Alvarez when I've seen him played alone up top this season. I mean, I think you can count on one hand the amount of times it's happened. I remember uh, Leicester away earlier in the season. Um, I think Harlan was out injured and Alvarez played up front. Looked a little bit lost to me on that day and didn't um, didn't get much of a sniff really. But, you know, he's, he's won the World Cup since then and has grown in confidence and stature and now might be a bit more better equipped to kind of take his chance in that role. But uh, yeah, a false nine is something that he can he can do as well. Yeah, had longer at City as well, so it's uh, yeah. more, more time to kind of uh, understand what he needs to do and where he needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, Adam, you've you've mentioned Foden a couple of times. Dan's mentioned Foden uh, already. Uh, he's had appendicitis. Uh, it's, it's such a shame for him after his recent form, isn't it? Yeah, and a bit out of the blue, really, isn't it? Um, Append- yeah. Appendicitis does that to you, though. I, it, it did that to me as well. Um, just suddenly, <laughs> it suddenly struck me down in my prime. What's it like? <laughs> Is it just like a pain, and then? Oh it, yeah, it just. It's just, so. I, I don't know if I don't know if Dan, if you've had a, uh, had appendicitis as well. So I'm not like I'm not teaching anybody. Anybody who I has any, so I'm, I'm curious yet. to know the answer as well. Yeah. yeah. So anybody, any listeners that have had it, like um, basically what happened was uh, I felt like I had tummy ache for a couple of days. I was sick a few times. And it didn't go away, and then the pains just got gradually worse and worse and worse. And then they took me into the hospital. Uh, well, they took me to the doctors. Um, and they said, yeah, take him to hospital. He might be appendicitis. And then they took me there, took my bloods and went, yes, appendicitis. Took me to theatre, whipped it out. I was, I mean, a Foden, what is it like? They were expecting like four weeks off or so. I had to, I had the operation on like a Thursday. I was back in school on the Monday. Right. That wasn't fair. You are a goalkeeper though. So you probably come back sooner. <laughs> so, you know, you're, <laughs> but um, yeah, that's, yeah, I guess it just creeps up on you then. Like everyone expected, he was in good form as well, which is a bit of a kick in the teeth. Probably the best he's been playing this season after he was largely absent for the squad from the squad after the World Cup as well. Um, he just sort of found his way back in. So you know, it's a shame, but also at the, in the same breath, four weeks isn't too long. I'd like to think maybe in my head he might be able to might be a bit optimistic this, but knowing. Dr. Kugat and City might be able to sneak in for like one of the buying games. Fingers what, crossed. What are the buying? Both of the buying games. Getting my surgeon. My surgeon was, <laughs> was like, now he can go back to school tomorrow or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, um, yeah it, it, it's a blow, particularly with a, with him playing on Trent's side as well. That's where you think he would play. Um, that probably would have, would have bared fruit. But um, not much we can do really, is there now? Like, it's going to be Grealish on the left. I think 99% sure of that. Um, and he's also been playing well, which is which is a good thing. Um, he's really picked up form since the World Cup, so hopefully he can continue. But uh, yeah, it's not good, is it? And also, yeah. I was just thinking then when Dan was speaking, I have to say and get it off my chest. I've remembered the game where Harlan came back. It was Fulham at home because um, Alvarez started up top, and then he oh, came yeah. back a bit sooner than people thought and scored the last minute penalty. But uh, yeah, maybe he'll come off the bench, Harland. <laughs> 
maybe that's yeah. what the case will be. Yeah. Can I just say on Foden, I work with a couple of Arsenal fans and this week one of them was accusing Foden of faking appendicitis to get out of England <laughs> duty so he'd be fit to play for City. If you're wondering what level of rattled their fan base is at, it's, it's that. So hopefully that transmits to their team. And I think uh, the other thing about, about Foden, if there is a kind of silver lining to him him being out, is that it gives Mares a chance to get himself back in the team because he's he's fallen out of favour a bit in recent weeks. I'd like to see him step up a bit, a bit more now and... Uh, you know, he, he'd be like a good impact sub this weekend, I think, if it comes to it. Yeah. Um, how about a bit more centrally, though, Dan? Because um, Gundogan's been, I mean, Gundogan's been very good, certainly the last few weeks, but mainly all season. Uh, De Bruyne uh, had a difficult start to the season, but but was playing really well before the break. Uh, and we've mentioned Alvarez already. So there's so there is options there for, for kind of like the, the central attacking positions as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that the the best sort of City eleven is is um, pretty much what was played against Leipzig, which was Gundogan and De Bruyne, um, and then Bernardo out on the right. It it depends, I guess, on Haaland's availability. If Haaland's fit, he'll obviously start up front, and then you wonder whether Alvarez will be placed into one of those central positions. I, I would expect probably not. Personally, I, I agree with what Adam said about his um, his intensity and his his work rate and stuff like that. I just don't know if if that's a bit too risky. That kind of uh, you know having two strikers on the pitch against a team like Liverpool for Pep at the moment. But yeah, it all depends on Haaland's availability, I guess. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. StatCity.co.uk Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium, and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Get a dollop of City nostalgia every Monday. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Let's turn attention to uh, the defence, Adam, um, because Liverpool can cause City problems. Let's not make any uh, any bones mm-hmm. about it. Um, and City have a bit of a penchant for playing loads of centre-backs at the moment. So like, who would you like to see in the back four? Because um, Diaz, absolutely needed for his defensive ability. Uh, Stones, absolutely needed for both his defensive ability and his ability to play through the ball. Ake, absolutely needed for the way he's been playing at left-back. You know, Walker, absolutely needed for his, his covering pace. Laporte's not had a look in lately. You could argue that that his passing makes him, him needed. Akanji seems to be a go-to player for, for Guardiola. You could make an, a case for him being in the team as well. So, so like, how do you shape it up there? Uh, Akanji's not a go-to player for me, so he wouldn't be starting, in my opinion. I think you kind of just answered the question there. I think it's got to be Ake. St- Stones is fit, isn't he? Yeah, I think, I think he is, yeah. Um, yeah, he played yeah. for England, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ake Stones, Diaz Walker, I think that's got to be it. For some reason, Laporte's not getting a look in, whether that's a personal issue or a footballing one, remains to be seen. But my gut feeling is he's not going to be here next year, Laporte, um, which is a shame, really, because I still think quality-wise, particularly with that, that's against Liverpool, that sort of long left-footed switch that he's got in his locker can be quite useful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think he'll be playing just based off you know, recency and the fact that he's been benched in games that he would have started in previous seasons. Um, but I just wouldn't, I wouldn't want a Kanji to start this one just based off a personal opinion. It's not really, I'm not going to 
start slating him too much. But I just think like when he played at Anfield, when he played at Old Trafford, when he's played in big games and there's been adversity or we've gone 1-0 down or then there was the equaliser at Old Trafford, positionally he starts to go all over the place and his head goes a bit. And I don't think he's as good on the ball as the other centre-backs that we've got there at our disposal. So I'd want it to be Ake, uh, particularly because Ake is going to be on Mo Salah's side. And I think he's done well against Bakayo Saka this season. Yeah. Um, so you've got to put him up against Mo Salah. And then you've got Stones and Diaz for me, which is probably our best centre-half pairing. And then Walker has to play as well. He just does. So I think that kind of picks itself. Having said that, though, Pep is a bit of a weirdo, and Bernardo, you know, he wants to, Bernardo we, might be there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like we, you know, we went to Anfield earlier this season, and we were. I mean, the form books just said that City were going to win. Like Dan said earlier, I was confident. I remember watching it, and then the team came out, and I was like, "What on earth is that formation?" I think he had like Cancelo playing right mid that day, um, and then he also did it a little bit later on this season at, uh, at Tottenham, where he just completely shook it up, and we lost again. And the, the team was a little bit bizarre, so hopefully he don't do that. But uh, I think I think back four wise for this one, uh, particularly given Liverpool's uh, personnel up front, it kind of picks itself. I don't think we'll see Rico Lewis play. Yeah, yeah. Do you, do you think Pat trusts Walker at the moment though? Because I don't really. I mean, he's not been getting the team very much at all post World Cup, really, and especially since his recent off-field indiscretion. I know he yes. played against Burnley before. Before the international break, I just don't know if if Pep trusts him, and if if that is the case, then the, the back four kind of picks itself. It's kind of stones in that right back um, defensive midfield kind of hybrid role, and then you'd have to go Diaz Akanji centre back and Ake left back because Laporte but, just doesn't seem like he's in the plans anymore. But that, that that's the interesting thing though, where you look at a game like this, where ability on where City's centre halves ability on the ball might be key. It could be one where you throw Laporte back in and and go right, go on, prove yourself. You, I that, hope so. that, this is this is the chance now for you to get back in this team. If Stones plays at right back, you've got a ball playing right back who's going to come into center, who's going to come into centre midfield when City get the ball, and then Diaz is, you, is your aggressive defender who's going to come out and give everyone a good kick in when they need it, and then Laporte kind of gets on the ball and, and sprays it around like he can do, and if it and if it works and it and it goes really well, then you you, you say to Laporte, this is your chance now. I don't know. Um, I just think you have to play Walker because I don't think people realise Nunes will play off the left, and I don't think people realise how quick he actually is particularly like with those transitional balls over Stone. He's one of the fastest players in the league, Nunes. And I just think, logically, you'd want to counteract it with the fastest right back in the league. Mm -hmm. Maybe I'm wrong. But no, it is true. Walker's sort of been stopped starting and out the squad as well. But he has played more than Laporte. So, you know, you think... uh, I think he'll play. I hope he plays. Yeah, and uh, and Ake, of course, Dan off the back of a, of a brace for the Netherlands. So uh, get, yeah, get, get, against, him, get him at the other end. Yeah, against the mighty Gibraltar. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, just want to look, uh, Dan, as well um, about obviously coming off the back of the international break. Uh, it's a twelve thirty kickoff for City. Now, uh, gut instinct for me this season says twelve thirty kickoff doesn't scream great performance. <laughs> um, uh, what's your what's your gut feeling for this? Because you kind of you kind of don't want to be the team that restarts the the weekend. Do you know what I mean? No, I mean it's not ideal being the first. Uh, you know, coming off an international break, and you know a lot of the players probably won't have got back to um, training sort of until Wednesday, Thursday this week. So there's even less time to prepare. You probably want a Sunday four o'clock game ideally. There, um, I, I don't know how much it, it kind of affects players as well. You know, Wayne Rooney said something 
years ago that he kind of got pilloried for about how it's really crap for players playing at 12.30 because you're having to eat pasta at like 10 o'clock in the morning. A lot of people were like, oh, here's a tiny violin. You know, you you highly paid footballers uh, having to sort of make a bit of a personal sacrifice. But, you know, I think as a, as a sports person, it's not ideal. So, um, yeah, it's, I don't feel great about the kickoff time this week, really, but it's uh, hopefully going to affect Liverpool in the same way that it's going to affect City, if at all. Yeah. Um, City's record in um, 12.30 kickoffs, Adam, isn't actually that bad. It's uh, under Guardiola anyway. It's played 32, won 24, uh, drawn four, lost four. Um, however, two of those defeats have been this season. The other two were in his first season. So they went, uh, they went a good kind of few years not losing any. Um, but obviously this season... Um, Brentford at home, uh, Manchester United away, both twelve thirty kickoffs on the on the Saturday, and both kind of performances where you you were hoping for a little bit more from City. Uh, of the for for full clarity of the ones they've won this season, uh, they've won Wolves away, Leicester away, and Newcastle at home. So a couple of tough games in there as well. Uh, what's your feelings? It's a weird entity, the twelve thirty kickoff. They say never back it betting wise, and uh, <laughs> you know. That's what we're going to have to do on this podcast. But, uh, <laughs> like, um, it's yeah. Uh, I don't really know. I, I, I just, I always do think of that Rooney quote actually when I think of twelve thirty kickoffs. And you know, we're recording this now at ten forty, which is a similar time. I don't feel like pasta right now. So, like, you know, maybe, maybe it does have um, an effect on the players. But look. They're used to it. They've been doing this for years. And having worked with them and seen sort of the nutritional plans that they have, I don't think they all wolf down pasta. I think some would be on like fish and stuff. So maybe that feeds into the the half-decent record that we've got. But um, it is Liverpool. So it's going to be a trickier game, a different game to the likes of the Brentford loss. Uh, or even like the Newcastle game we won recently because that you know what you're going to get with Newcastle. They're cagey, they're defensive. And it was a case of grinding them down where this is just going to be an open game. And I think really, once we get into it, the adrenaline of the game and the pace of it will just take over. And I don't think the time of the kickoff, just because we're playing Liverpool... Uh, will hold much will hold much semblance in the end. I think it'll just be as soon as the ball gets kicked and the whistle goes, it'll be business as usual. Maybe that's wishful thinking, but that's how I feel. <laughs> can I? So can I just confirm? Neither of you have had your pre-podcast meal of pasta and fish. Is that what you're telling <laughs> me? I'm sorry, no. I've uh, I've had to skip it. <laughs> I'm not a breakfast <laughs> man. I'm not a yeah. breakfast man. Just a coffee. So uh, right, there'll be there'll be fines incoming for that. Then uh, <laughs> discipline is is important on this podcast. Um, Dan, when City last faced Liverpool in the twelve thirty kickoff, uh, they won five nil at home. So there's an omen for you. Um, yeah. Only Edison, Walker, Stones, and De Bruyne though are still at City from that game. And Mane got sent off in the first half. He did. Yeah. If, the, if another one could get sent off, uh, ideally not for kicking one of our players in the face, that would uh, be helpful <laughs> this weekend as well. Yeah. Yeah. Let's not reopen that can of worms though about whether mm. kicking a player in the face is a red card or not. Because <laughs> like, like, surely any normal person thinks it is. But here we are. Um, yeah. So as Adam said, we're going to have to uh, predict this game now. We uh, we're on seven hundred and five pounds for the charity bet so far for this season. William Hill is giving each of us a ten pound correct score single, and the winnings are going to the Man City fans food bank support group. They'll be under the bridge by Asda ahead of the game with Liverpool on Saturday, accepting donations of both food and money for Manchester Central Food Bank. Let's see if we can't add some more money to their kitty from us as well. Uh, we'll start Dan with you. What are you going for for this one? I'm going to go three one City. 3-1 City is 12-1 to 1 and £120 if you're right. Adam, where are you going? 4-2 City. 
Four two City is uh, forty to one and four hundred pounds if you're right. And as we've heard from Neil a bit earlier on, he's gone for City two, Liverpool three. Uh, that is forty five to one if he's right. So uh, dreadful outcome for the for the uh, title race, but not a bad outcome for the charity if it happens. Uh, four hundred and fifty pounds if he's right. Uh, remember, you got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change. And for more on responsible gambling, have a look at BeGambleAware.org. Now, there was a celebrity watcher in the stands for Manchester City women's 2-0 victory over Chelsea on Sunday. Usain Bolt might be a famous United fan, but he was at the Academy Stadium to witness City go joint top of the WSL. It got us thinking about the celebrities that have links to City, some strong and some less so. Sam Roscoe is on the case. There are some die-hard celebrity City fans. Everything's blue, isn't it? The sky, the sea, and the best football team in Britain. So I think it's, uh, it's an easy choice, to be honest. But no, I mean, my dad was a, used to play for City in the reserves years ago. Uh, so as a youngster, I, I was in the FA School of Excellence as a 12, 13-year-old. So I think with the family history, it was only... Uh, it's only you know common sense that I was going to follow in the family's footsteps. That's former boxer Ricky Hatton speaking to the podcast in 2010. His blue credentials aren't in doubt. He's been seen regularly at the Etihad down the years, and his entrance music when he was competing was Blue Moon. Comedian Jason Manford is in a similar boat. Generally, football fans have got a good sense of humour. I think you've got your nutters and your, your proper head the balls who, who are not going to come anyway, like and. And uh, you know, and genuinely don't like you because you support City. Most people are normal, and go, I don't like United, and I don't like United fans. But actually, I work with them, and some of my relatives and family are United fans, and we we just you know we live with each other. It's not like you know what I mean. We can get on with each other, and uh, just not on Derby Day. We spoke to Jason in about 2011 to get his memories of growing up as a City fan. It used to be a thing on Piccadilly Radio. They'd just play music as normal, and then they'd interrupt a song or a bulletin or whatever, and you just hear a. It's a goal! Or, invariably, oh no. And then it'd be one of the Manchester clubs, one of the Northwest clubs. And it was always, and I remember, all the way through, I always remember, it's a goal was always. And we're going over to Old Trafford now, it was always the United goal. And every time, oh no, it was always City. That's all I remember for about four years. Oh no. And I remember saying to my dad, I was about eight or nine, I said, we should just put United, you know, Dad. It seems to be a lot easier to support them. There's a lot of heartache here. You're crying every weekend. You're in a mood all Sunday. I've just, you know, I've, put, I've, I've really come up with a great idea. Like, I've solved these problems, you know. And, um, I mean, he's only just started talking to me now. Like, you know, you can really disown a son. Shameless actor David Threlfall is also a very well-known blue. Here he is speaking to the It's Always Us podcast. I certainly born into it and walked to the ground with granddaddos. It, it was just, that's what it was. In that era, when I was going to the ground when I was at secondary school and walking down Mulders Road and over Platte Lane into the kid backs or the Platte Lane with Pete Lolly, who was at the school, we used to go with after my granddad sort of fell by the wayside. I don't mean literally on the way to the ground, I mean he stayed at home. <laughs> we didn't just leave him on the side of the road. When City were away, I used to go and watch United. And some City fans will be raging going like, oh, you talking There are other famous fans whose City support is clear from their actions too. Former James Bond actor Timothy Dalton is often at the Etihad when he's back in the UK. Musicians Noel and Liam Gallagher are vocal about their support of the club too. 
Here's Noel speaking to Gary James for his website, gjfootballarchive.com. Well, born in Longsight, 1967. It's my local team. I could see the floodlights from my bedroom. And then uh, when we moved to Burnage in 73... Could still see the floodlights from my bedroom. There are others who may not be the same level of famous, but who are equally as blue through and through. The likes of the money-saving expert Martin Lewis or Ryanair's owner Michael O'Leary. But every now and then, a celebrity turns up at the Etihad and clearly hasn't got a clue about where they are, what's happening, or what team they're even watching. Here's Tom Cruise and Robert Duvall speaking to Sky Sports ahead of the Manchester Derby in December 2012. This is the first game that I've seen in England. I've been following it since, you know, for since the 80s, you know, and so I just, uh, you know, excited that I'm able to be here for it. Now, in terms of the game itself, of course, you're strictly neutral today, but give us a prediction. What do you think? I don't know. You just flip a coin. I mean, what, I, I think it's, it's going to be both great teams, I, aren't I, they? I think both it's great teams. Be, yeah. I mean, look where the you know where they are now. I, I think it's going to be a heck of a game. Drama. A heck of a game it was, but it didn't go City's way as Robin van Persie's deflected free kick won it in stoppage time for United. Later that season. David Hasselhoff turned up at the Etihad too. The last game I was at was the um, uh, World Cup, which was in Los Angeles years ago. But my girlfriend's Welsh, and she's turned me on to the Euro Cup and a lot of rugby. But the Euro Cup I watched a lot in Los Angeles, uh, and um, got, to, got to see some of your players, Bonatelli especially, uh, playing for Italy against Germany, and um, watched England and Spain. And so I've already gotten kind of into the whole spirit. And I love the fact that the uh, the teams and the towns are so loyal and so passionate about their players and their teams. It's quite different than America. That was the Knight Rider and Baywatch star speaking to City TV ahead of the 3-0 win over Stoke on New Year's Day. He came to watch a game while in Panto in Manchester. But some celebrities visit City without going to a match. American rapper Ice Cube and comedian Kevin Hart went to City's training ground in 2016. They told BBC Five Live their reasons why. This is my first time going to any uh, Manchester team. Kevin, I'm like, Kevin, where are we going? He was like, we're going to City. We love City. Man Let's go to City. City. Man I said, City. man, let's, what about United? Here's the difference, okay? You know, man City has rolled out the red carpet and invited us. I didn't offer to go there. Now I'm familiar with them, but they said we would love to have you guys come and see. Manchester United cannot get upset with that because you have not invited us. I am basically a fan of treatment, man, and not being educated on football and not knowing you love what you see. So what I saw and the treatment that I got made me go, wow, I'll try to explain. Cool. Both of them were taking penalties against Joe Hart at the CFA during Manuel Pellegrini's final season. More recently, comedy actor Will Ferrell was a guest at the Etihad for a City's 3-1 win over Aston Villa earlier this year. He spoke to Sky Sports ahead of the game. I'm on a recruiting trip for LAFC right ah, now. Ah, so, of course. Uh, yeah. So you're so, just, just seeing if Manchester City yeah, have got any I'm players. Just seeing so, if they measure up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, to the MLS. Do, do, you watch, do you watch much soccer? Is that your...? I, I, I watch a fair amount. I, I, I have to say I don't really have a side over here. I just enjoy kind of, yeah. you know, following all the storylines. And, uh, um, yeah, it's, a, it's obviously 
a very good league. Yeah. I'm just going to go out on there <laughs> and saying there's some really good teams and players here. Yeah. At least Will Ferrell wasn't pretending to be a fan and wasn't swearing his allegiance to the club from here on in. It's often hard to verify rumours when famous fans haven't really talked about their support of the club, but it's easy to spot when a celebrity is trying to bluff their way through an interview. There will undoubtedly be famous fans we've missed, and you can address all complaints to Mooney for that. He's the one who did the research for this item. But as City continue to dominate English football, you can bet the number of famous faces that come to the Etihad will only increase. For Pep Guardiola's sake, let's just hope Julia Roberts is one of them who visits in the not-too-distant future. Hello, this is Jason Manford and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Sam Roscoe taking a look at some of City's celebrity fans there. Um, we're going to finish with some uh, listener questions. Get them in for next week on Twitter. At Blue Moon Podcast is the best way to do it. But you can also email us as well through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. Fill out the form there and send it over to us. Um, if you want to try sending us a voice note as well, you can email us bluemoonpodcast at gmail.com. Just drop a voice note in there and we'll play them out in future. That's something I want to try on uh, future episodes. So if you want to get your voice on the podcast, do do that and we can uh, we can get them played out to the, uh, the panels in future. Uh, first, though, we're going to go with George H on Twitter, who says, uh, Rodri seems to have rattled a lot of people lately. Are there any opposition players who have totally rattled you in the past, and what was it they did? Um, Adam, is there anybody that uh, that you have an irrational hatred for that uh, that the listeners might find unexpected? Oh, uh, irrational. Yeah, there's probably over 100 in the Premier League <laughs> who are irrational. Well, we, we haven't uh, got time for all of them. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I can't just list them off. I think... There was always one that I found quite funny, really, and it was in the past, and it was Phil Neville. Um, when In his Everton days, I was too young to really remember him playing for United, but um, he basically, he came into my primary school, uh, he was allowed to. Um, he just sort of... He, <laughs> he, he, he did just wander in, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He just rocked... I was about um, eight years old, I think. It was about 2008. Um, and he landed, it was for some charity thing, and he was going around schools in the Northwest, and it was going to be on, like, Granada Report. Uh, don't really know what he was doing. Won't really pay much attention. That's all I know. But anyway, he landed in a helicopter. It was a bit over the top. He landed in a helicopter on, like, the backfield. Uh, and he came in, and the teachers were like, oh, right, uh, three, pe- three kids from each school year can, like, ask Phil a question. Uh, so just write a question down on this card, and then we'll uh, we'll send them over. And we'll pick three out. And I, at this point, like I wasn't mad into football. I was more into Star Wars and stuff. So the, <laughs> the thought of Phil, yeah. yeah, the thought of Phil Neville like coming in, it, it it didn't really excite me. Not that it would have anyway. But like you know, he rocked up, um, and then I got my question got picked, and I asked him. It was quite a simple question. I just said, "Where did you live?" And the teachers approved it. Uh, sorry, where do you live? That was the question, and the teachers approved it. Um, and then he refused to answer the question when I asked him. And there was like cameras <laughs> rolling and stuff. And like I understand why from like a home security perspective, but I was like eight years old. Um, and it kind of annoyed me because I thought, oh, I'm going to be on telly on the news and it'll be like me with, you know, my little voice as a little kid asking him a question. Um, and I was just interested. And I think it's because at the time it was when like 
Gary had moved into like a house that would apparently look like a Teletubby house, like it was like oh, under a hill yeah, or something. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. So, so that's why I thought I'd ask to see if he had his own Teletubby house too. That was like the thinking, <laughs> but um, he refused. He refused to answer the question. So then after that. I always had it out for Phil Neville, and I think I got I got vindicated a few years later by David Silver because I remember they went to the Etihad, and Phil Neville was quite clearly assigned by Moyes to just try and kick the shit out of David Silver, basically, and he ran rings around him that day, got man the match, got two assists. Uh, that was in the season we first won the league on the Mancini. Yeah, I remember so it, it was well. a, it was a slight vindication, but that that was that was one that was quite funny. But then, I mean, in terms of like actual hatred on a pitch for players, I mean. Oh, there's been loads Herrera, Fellaini, loads of United players that I could just reel off. I had um, I had um, a, a, a journalist. I won't name them, but uh, I had a journalist that was uh, that I was working alongside once who uh, described uh, Ander Herrera as a fucking teacher's pet. Oh, <laughs> he absolutely that surprise is. Yeah, me. Yeah. absolutely is. Uh, Dan, any any for you that uh, that really wind you up for for reasons that that people might find unexpected. Well, I think uh, Bruno Fernandes has taken over from Herrera's bringing oh, the gosh, apple yeah. into the teacher, hasn't it? He's he's the the most hateful United player at this point. I mean, to be honest, I think every United player in history has kind of taken as red in this question, isn't it? Really, that's yeah. that's very much a, a rational hatred uh, as opposed to an irrational hatred. Um, I've always hated Casemiro, though, even when he played for Real Madrid. I've always just hated his face, um, and especially <laughs> in that semi-final against them last season when he should have been sent off about four times, um, and somehow don't even think he got a bucket in the end. So. That was very annoying. Um, obviously, Liverpool in recent years, we've we've our hatred for them has, has grown oh, quite I, significantly. I wonder if you're going to mention the name from Liverpool that I've that I've got earmarked. Is it Andy it? Robertson? No, it isn't actually. No, no I hate Michael. that guy. I hate that guy. <laughs> James Milner. No. no, I don't hate Milner. No, no, no. I'm I'm completely indifferent to Milner. Um, no, my my hatred is is saved for Liverpool entirely for Roberto Firmino. <laughs> two two reasons for this is uh, the first one is. Like I, I don't mind teammates calling him Bobby, but when <laughs> like when comment when it sleeps into commentary and and when it seeps into to punditry, no, not having that. And the second one is that fucking celebration where he he kind of covers his mouth in a way to say, "Oh, I cannot believe what I've just done." Yeah, and it's like, "Oh, piss off, mate." He's, like, he's embarrassed about his teeth. That's what it is. <laughs> That's that, that you, you know you know that look on his that sort of gobsmacked look. No, not having that. <laughs> Yeah, Salah's a bit like that as well. When he scores, he kind of does this kind of like, "Oh, how humble am I? How oh, that was just so easy that I did that." Like, did you see that? It wasn't it amazing kind of thing. He sort of gives off that that vibe that I find very annoying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The very first player, opposition player that wasn't a United player that I can remember like hating, and maybe it was a a rational hatred as well, was um, Faustino Aspria. Do you remember when he clashed with uh, Keith Keith Curl at Main Road that time? Yeah, so I, I really hated Aspria when I was a kid. Yeah, I understand that one. Um, just quickly before we move on, because it, it spawned from from Rodri Dan. Uh, you mentioned how Arsenal fans had been a bit rattled <laughs> by uh, by um, uh, Phil Foden getting appendicitis. Uh, Rodri knows what he's doing at the moment, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I mean, he's had quite the week, Rodri. Hasn't he? Not only has he uh, rattled the entire Arsenal fan base, but the entirety of Scotland as well. After uh, <laughs> accusing them of being rubbish. Um, I think, I think that's definitely been filed under uh, sour grapes from from Rodri, which is uh, something we're not really accustomed to. I mean, we we kind of think of him as this kind of like very kind of down to earth, unassuming professional, don't we? So I don't feel like he would go onto a pitch and deliberately try and injure a opposition player, um, you know, to 
give City an edge in the title race. I just don't really see that being the case. Having said that, it wasn't a very good tackle at all. So <laughs> I can understand why you'd be, you'd be a bit annoyed by it if you were if you rode a guard, yeah? Yeah. Um, let's get this from Ellen on Twitter who says, uh, given Jack Grealish's takeaway order, what's your terrible go-to takeaway options after a match? Uh, while you think about it, here is uh, Jack Grealish speaking to, I think it's a Man City TikTok, um, but let's, let's have a listen to what his takeaway order is. Yeah, I love Chinese, man. After every game, I get one. So I get... I go wings in Manchester, but yeah, I usually get a takeaway. I have Singapore char mein, I have um, egg fried rice, I have like salt and pepper chips, salt and pepper prawns, and then curry sauce, and then just like mix it all in, you know, and just have a big, a big, uh, a big free for all in there. So, uh, Adam, um, I'm I'm not really a takeaway after the game sort of person. Um, are you? Is that the sort of thing you'd do? Not after the game, no, absolutely not. I mean, I had one last night, to be honest, and I'm regretting it as we record. Um, <laughs> so, like, usually, I mean, usually I, I like to go to, to nice takeouts, you know, particularly if I'm doing something the next day and, I'm, you know, I don't want to feel ill. Uh, you know, I'll go to, like, a nice Indian or you know, if I do have a Chinese, I'll try and I'll try and get something that's authentically Chinese, not just salt and pepper English variation of food just slammed on a plate with some curry <laughs> sauce. Like that's not really me either. Yeah. Um, but like I had I had a takeout pizza uh, last night from a place I don't usually get a takeout pizza from, and that's always risky, especially when you get like a hot and spicy pizza and it's got mincemeat on it because <laughs> the mincemeat. It's it's undetermined beef. Yeah. You're not really sure what it is. Like are, we, are we sure? You know, are we sure what it is? Are we sure it's cooked? <laughs> plenty of plenty of things that could go wrong. Could, here. Yeah, could have been pedigree dog food, honestly. So like, yeah, maybe that's like the most risky thing I'll do. Like, I think also, you know, you can't go wrong with a McDonald's sometimes, but it's always one of them that like you can feel it afterwards. You know, yeah. you can feel a McDonald's. Um, so maybe that. But I do. I like sushi as well. Like I'm. I'm a middle. I'm a little middle class. I was going to say that's not that, that's not a takeout, is it? Come yeah, on, yeah, it can be nowadays. It can be nowadays. Like yeah, Zumu Sushi in uh, in Didsbury, I think that's where I sometimes go, and that's really really nice. I'd actually recommend that. Yeah, Spons- um, sponsorship options for the podcast are there if you uh, if you guys want to want to get involved. Uh, Dan, I, I mean, I'm interested in your point of view on this because uh, obviously you live in Germany these days, uh, and like my my go to takeout if I if I was going to go, I'm going to get a takeaway tonight. I'd probably get a good old fashioned chippy. Um, do they exist? Do they exist in any good form outside of the northwest of England? They do well. I, th- I think they exist in other parts of England, but uh, definitely not in, in Germany. Um, the kind of equivalent of the chippy is like a doner kebab. Um, that's kind of what everyone gets here. I had one last night, actually. It was very nice. Um, but yeah, I don't really sort of uh, have a habit of getting takeaways after matches necessarily. Um, I do miss living in Manchester and being able to pop down to the Curry Mile after a game or Akbar's in Castlefield or uh, get a takeaway from Spice House in Bagley. Shout out to them legends. Um, but, <laughs> but usually, yeah, it's... Uh, f- Food is not a big part of my um, my match day uh, experience, really. I, I read an article actually about uh, in the MEN about uh, Grealish's uh, takeaway. He, go, he goes to Wings in town. Fifty six quid that costs. What he, what he got? It was what? like salt and pepper chips, um, some prawn dish, some noodles, and some rice. Fifty six quid. 
I mean, you'd want that, though, after having pasta for breakfast, wouldn't you? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess so, yeah. yeah. Um, let's get this from uh, Joe Donati on the emails. Um, we've got a serious question for once. Who, who was expecting this? Uh, <laughs> with the issues at left-back, would it be a good idea to recall Josh wilson Esbrand? He looked really good in pre-season. He may not be ready to be a week-in, week-out starter, but I think he's worth a look. Um, Dan, I've not really seen that much of him at Coventry. Um, I'm not expecting you have either, but... Uh, it's it's one of those options, isn't it, where you sometimes go, okay, well, actually, maybe an, uh, maybe a player who can play left-back and is a left-back might be a good option here. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not going to recall him before the end of the season, I don't think, are they? I think uh, it would take an extreme emergency, like, I don't know, every left-footed person in the greater Manchester region being wiped out by plague or something if we were going to do that. Don't, I, I can't don't, see don't, don't, yeah, don't knock it. It might happen. Don't, don't tempt fate, yeah. Um, and I think Coventry have an outside chance of the playoffs and are in quite good form at the moment. So I think he's um, he's doing quite well for them. But I do like what I've seen from from Wilson Esbrand, to be fair. Um, I think he's he's had injury problems, which hopefully he can, he can get over um, at some point. But... Um, I don't know, will he be an option for next season? I don't know, because surely, surely we're going to sign someone in the summer to play in that position, aren't we? Um, Adam, what, what, what do you reckon for, uh, for I mean, an actual left-footed left-back? Good idea? Yeah, I I mean, we've got Sergio Gomez, but he's not exactly set the world alight, really. Um, so that's really where you think he'd be replacing in the squad if he did come in. I really liked him last season. I think he was fantastic. I know he, it was... Uh, I think it was at Wickham that we played at home and beat 7-1 or something last season in the Carabao Cup. But in that game in particular, he was fantastic with the balls he was sort of putting in on that overlapping side. I thought he looked really, really strong. Um, and I've also watched him a couple of times for the EDS, working at City in Belgium. He's a nice lad. So, yeah, I, I actually thought last season I was pretty convinced that he had a future at the club. Uh, and I actually thought more so when we sold Zinchenko in a weird way. Um, but then obviously we signed Gomez. Um, I don't think, like like Dan said, I completely agree. I don't think we'll be recalling him this season. But um, I'd expect him to play in the preseason for us and then we take it from there. Um, but I, I do rate the kid. And I think regardless, if he does end up leaving, I think he's go- he's going to end up being a Premier League left-back for sure. I think the big issue around uh, Wilson Esbrand though was his injuries, wasn't it? I think I think Guardiola was was talking about one of the one of the problems he was facing was that he couldn't keep him fit enough for long enough to be able to to kind of get a run together. Um, and just looking at his uh, his performances this season, uh, obviously he was, uh, he's, he's only been on loan at Coventry a short time. Um Seems to have been fairly regular, which is a which is which I guess is a good sign. So uh, so yeah, hopefully uh, hopefully could be, yeah could be one that could that could come back and make an impact in future. Um, final question then for this week comes from Kieran on Twitter. Uh, he says, after it seems that Pep reads Twitter, are there any city related tweets from yourself or anyone else that you would never want him to see? <laughs> um, Dan. <laughs> Um, probably my uh, Bernardo Silva, not bothered if he leaves one, that's become quite infamous <laughs> on this podcast. Um, I don't think Pep would take kindly to that, given how much he loves Bernardo. What is it? He said he's fucking intuitive the other yeah. week. So, uh, yeah, pro- probably that one. I mean, um, one thing that I really hate, uh, real like pet hate of mine on Twitter, is people um, sort of like criticising the lineup when it comes out, you know, the hour before kickoff when everyone's sort of like slating, why is he playing this guy, blah, blah, blah. 
like I just think that's so stupid. I'm, I'm, I'm just always like, just wait and see what happens. Because people were complaining about the, the Leipzig lineup the other week and we won 7-0 and they were sort of conspicuous by their absence after the game, you know, all those uh, <laughs> all those pre-match takes. Um, so I never do that, but I did actually search my name on Twitter and Guardiola's name to see what I've been sort of saying about him over the years. And a common theme for me is criticising him for his in-game management, um, you know, not making subs at the right time, not making subs at all sometimes. I think I've said before that he's a, he's a very good coach, but not a great manager. And I imagine he would probably find that quite offensive as well and, and probably is quite an offensive thing to say. So You, you better yeah. hope that, that... I mean, we know that he, he listens to a podcast. He dropped that in uh, not long ago. You better hope it's not Blue Moon he listens to now. <laughs> yeah. Adam, yeah. Any, any from yourself? Oh, God. I mean, if we if we go pre-2020, oh, Jesus. I mean, I had to, when I got the City job, I had to rein it in massively and it was a big <laughs> learning curve. Um I don't know. I mean, I called Otamendi a war criminal once. That was uh, a while ago. He he's, he left. So he, you know, I'm not too bothered if he reads it now. But the main thing for me would have been, I think, Dan, you actually very kindly endorsed it two or three years ago. But when I was doing stuff for City Extra before I joined City, I was writing these, like, when the season broke with COVID, I wrote these end-of-season player ratings for each yeah. player. And they were the most scathing... It was like talking about their on and off field antics. So it was very, very scathing. Um, and we hadn't had the best season. We came second, um, got dumped out of the Champions League. So, yeah, probably that kind of stuff. Because the stuff I was writing in that article about people like even Edison, and I was talking about Edison's dress sense, Walker's <laughs> off field <laughs> antics. Like it, it just got, uh, it got very scathing. And I was kind of worried because, like, when I had the interviews for the job, the people who were giving me the interviews were like, yeah, we really like these pieces, which baffled me. Um, <laughs> but I was thinking if the players have caught wind of any of this, and I knew at the time that a lot of them were starting to what, read City Extra stuff and like consume their content, uh, particularly like Mares and I think Cancelo at the time and stuff. I was like, if they can somehow attribute my name to, uh, for, from those articles to this job, then I'm finished. But luckily, none of them ever did, so I got away with it. Um, <laughs> but it was probably those articles that I wrote three years ago. Yeah, um, I've just I've just been scanning down some of mine. I don't think there's any dreadful that ha- that I've mentioned uh, Guardiola. A lot of it seems to be just me promoting podcasts about things we've said about <laughs> Guardiola. So I dread to think what I've said on podcasts in the past that uh, <laughs> that that might have upset him. But uh, yeah, Pep, if you're listening, um, we don't mean it. We love you really. Uh, sorry <laughs> about that. Um, that's it for this week's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening. Thanks also to my guests for this one, Adam Monk. Pleasure as always. And to Dan Burke. Thank you for having me. Uh, Dan was actually our guest on this week's Patreon show, City Heaven, City Hell, with games against Brighton. Uh, So go and give that a listen. It's available now for Patreon backers. Uh, Stay tuned for the end of the show. You'll get a quick clip now. That was the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget... You can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. I think everyone really knew as well. It was probably the last time we were going to see Chris Hewton. So it almost felt like for Brighton fans, a bit of an end of an era with Graham Potter and how we've grown as a club since then. 2019 always gets looked back on as the time where everything changed. So it's actually quite a poignant moment in that part of the club's history in a weird way. I love patterns and stuff in football. And uh, Dan, this game, it kind of bookends a nice pattern in that Guardiola's two first title winning seasons with City bookended by starting the first one against Brighton and finishing the last one against Brighton. (laughs) 
Oh yeah, that's true, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Didn't think about it like that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that was a, a great era for City. Those two years, obviously, the the, the following season, we, we we lost a lead to Liverpool before regaining it the following season. But those two years are still kind of thought of as as peak Guardiola, and it's it's a bit of a debate as to which season was better. You know, obviously, we got the hundred points the year before, completely steamrolled the, the league. But then the following year, we had that pressure from Liverpool all the way through. We had to go on that fourteen game winning streak at the end of the season to win the league, and you know, also won the the two domestic cups as well and you kind of think that's probably a bigger achievement than the 100 points even though we we didn't score quite as many points you can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast and join us again next time for another episode